Hey, my name is Philip Craig. I'm the pastor here at Aria Church. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope this podcast empowers you, hope it fuels your faith, and hope it impacts your life. Enjoy the message. It's great to have you all with us, whether you're in the room or watching online. And obviously for those of you that have maybe grown up in church, this is always traditionally the, the lowest attendance Sunday of the year. It's known as low, low Sunday in the church calendar. And this is the second year in a row that Pastor Phil's asked me to speak. So don't quite know how to take that, but I hope you all had a great Christmas day. And particularly for the dads, I'm sure you were all excited to see what you'd got your kids for Christmas. Shout out to the mums that do all the heavy lifting at Christmas. So how many of you are, are just here to, to get a few hours away from the family? It's, it's funny, isn't it, that last year we, we weren't really legally allowed to see our family, and this year we can't wait to get away. I'm actually going around to my in-laws after this, so if the message does go on a bit longer than usual, you'll know why. That, that was a joke, just in case any of them are watching the live stream. Uh, guys at the back, can we cut that from the podcast just to be safe, please? So this period between Christmas and the New Year, it's, it's always a strange time of year. It's not quite Christmas anymore, but the decorations are, are still up and no one quite has the heart to take them down. We're in that period of the aftermath of Christmas. The fridge is full of leftover turkey. The, the tins of chocolate now only have the rotten coconut ones left. And if you are that person that likes the coconut ones, don't worry, our prayer team will be available at the end of the service. Uh, there's wrapping paper all over the house. If you're like me and you insist on a real Christmas tree, there's now pine needles all over the carpet. You've already eaten multiple selection boxes, but you're probably still hoping to get down to Tesco's and get some of the discounted chocolates before they're all sold out. Uh, the TV schedules just have the same movies that you watch every year. The puppy you thought would make a great Christmas present is now turning into a bit of a nightmare already. The shops that were so busy last week are now deserted. The days are still dark and the nights are still long, but yet there's nothing exciting to look forward to anymore. We're in the aftermath of Christmas, and that's my message title today, The Aftermath of Christmas. It's that period of year where you've now eaten too many mince pies, but the January diet hasn't quite started, right, Dylan? <laughs> the aftermath of Christmas, when the presents are all open, but you haven't been to the shop yet to swap the interestingly colored shirt that your granny got you for something a bit more tasteful. Yeah, can we cut that from the podcast too, please? <laughs> it's a strange time, but for me, some of the best parts of Christmas actually happen after the big day. See, I'm a firm believer in the traditional 12 days of Christmas and keeping that festive cheer going into the new year. Sure, yesterday had the presents and the roast turkey, but now for the next few days, we've got leftover turkey sandwiches to enjoy, and we can actually have a bit of free time to, to put our feet up and enjoy some of the books that you got for Christmas. Funny story, actually, about turkey. The, the first year that Sheriff and I were married, we had, well, let's call it discussions, to keep it church-friendly, about what we should do on the big day, where we should go. Because let's face it, no one makes Christmas dinner quite like your mum, really, does she? So here's some free advice for anyone who's recently got engaged or is praying to get engaged in the new year. I came up with a great solution that first year. I figured rather than continuing the discussions, we should just have Christmas at our own house by ourselves. And for that to work, I would have to copy everything that my mum did to, to pull off a Christmas dinner. So I knew the butcher that she went to and figured better go there and order a turkey. But at that stage, I was still a lot younger more inexperienced and had significantly less gray hair. I didn't really know what I was doing when it came to Turkey. So I went to the butcher and he started asking all these questions about white or bronze meat and crown or a full Turkey and I didn't really have a clue. 
All I knew was I wanted to make sure there'd be enough turkey left over for some sandwiches on Boxing Day. So I ordered a four kilogram turkey and hoped for the best. Turns out four kilograms is quite a lot of meat and significantly more than two people could eat either on Christmas Day or in sandwiches on Boxing Day. So the aftermath of Christmas for us that first Christmas that we were married is we were eating frozen turkey curry for months afterwards. <laughs> Today and this week, we're living in the aftermath of Christmas 2021. But we're also part of a bigger story. We're living in the aftermath of the first Christmas. We're living in the aftermath of Emmanuel coming to be with us. We're living in the aftermath of God stepping down into our story to be our Savior, Messiah, and Lord, as Pastor Phil talked to us about at our carol service. You see, Christmas was the greatest moment in history. It quite literally changed our calendar forever, and it leaves us now living in the aftermath. The first Christmas, when Jesus, the Prince of Peace, came and solved the problem created by our sin. You see, our world is never going to be the same again because of the aftermath of what Jesus did. We're now in that aftermath. And I want to take a few moments today to, to look at what it means to live in the aftermath of the first Christmas. I want to explore some of the events that happened in the aftermath of the birth of Jesus and then look at what application they have for us today as we find ourselves in the aftermath of a, an unusual and probably slightly disrupted Christmas. There were three visits that happened that I'm going to zoom in on and hopefully someone can appreciate what I've done there doing a Christmas message with three visits. No, don't worry, there's no ghosts of Christmas past, present or future though. So the first visit that happened is the visit of the shepherds who came to see Jesus in the manger. If you have a Bible with you, if you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 18, and if you did get a new device yesterday and didn't immediately download the Bible app on it, I'm going to give you a chance to rectify that as I pray for your forgiveness and pray for the message. So Father God, just pray that these words this morning would be your words, that you would speak through me, that you would help each of us to, to marvel at what you did at Christmas and what it means for us to now live in the aftermath. Help us to listen and to receive from you this morning. Amen. So reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 18. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So you see, in first century Israel, shepherds were the lowest of the low. They were unclean, smelly, dirty, peasants. To be a shepherd was considered to be even worse than being from Lurgan. People tried to avoid associating with shepherds. It wasn't any young Jewish boy's dream to grow up and be a shepherd. They were the least in society. They, were, they had to stay out in the fields outside the main villages. They weren't welcome inside. Even with a negative lateral flow test, no restaurant was going to give them a table. They weren't welcome in the temple because they were deemed unclean. 
society's rules and standards cut them off from the very presence of God. And maybe some of us can relate to that feeling of being outsiders. I know I can. I had a, a range of interests growing up that didn't exactly leave me as the trendiest kid in school. A combination of painting Warhammer before Henry Cavill made it cool and enjoying solving maths equations didn't get me too many party invites. <laughs> growing up, I was always just a bit different. Case in point, whenever I was in playgroup, we had a nativity play, and I got chosen to be Joseph, every young boy's dream. But for reasons best known to young me, I turned it down because I had my heart set on another role, the donkey. Like I say, I was a bit of an unusual child. Maybe, like me, you didn't grow up in Portadown and you feel like an outsider when people reminisce about days gone by. Maybe you feel like an outsider whenever Joe Craig is reminiscing about the glory days whenever Portadown FC apparently used to win matches. Maybe you've seen some of your friends post up happy engagement photos over the Christmas period and you're feeling like an outsider. Maybe you've been struggling with depression and you feel like an outsider every time you see your friends post up carefully curated, highly filtered Instagram highlights. Or maybe you feel like an outsider when it comes to God. Maybe you feel he couldn't love you because of what you've done. Maybe you feel unclean, stained by what's happened in your past. Maybe you feel rejected because the plans you thought God had for you haven't quite fallen into place yet. Maybe you hear other people talk about their relationship with God and you wonder why you feel so distant. Maybe you feel that people around you are hearing from God and you feel like an outsider because you never get those experiences yourself. Maybe you're sitting here by yourself this morning and you see everyone around with their groups of friends and you're feeling like an outsider. In many different ways, we can all relate to the shepherds. But in the aftermath of Christmas, the good news is that everything got turned upside down. You see, the people of Israel, they'd been waiting for their promised Messiah, the one who would set them free. And at just the right moment, the sinless, spotless lamb came, Jesus born to die for our sins. And the first that got to hear this good news were shepherds, the outcasts, the ones who'd been excluded from the presence of God. They were the first to hear that now he was with us, living among us. In the aftermath of Christmas, shepherds, the least of the least, they were the first to hear that God had humbled himself to come down to become the lowest of the low. Unclean shepherds were the first to hear that Jesus had came for everyone, not just for the religious elite, not just for the pure, not just the clean, not just those who went to church every week, not just those with no past and no skeletons in the closet. This was good news for everyone. And the first lesson we learn from the aftermath of Christmas is that Jesus is good news to all, and that means all. Jesus had come for all mankind. None of us were worthy but out of love, he came to reach all of us. So no matter how unworthy you're feeling this morning, whether you're in this room or watching online, know that Jesus came for you and that God is with us, no matter how much of an outcast we feel. In the aftermath of Christmas, everyone's invited to come and experience that love of God, no matter your background. In the aftermath of Christmas, the invitation doesn't just come out to come all ye faithful. The invitation goes out to all the unfaithful to come too. Outcasts are welcome. We also see in this encounter that Mary responds to the visit of the shepherds and the good news that they brought. Luke records for us that Mary treasured these things, pondering them in her heart. She reflected on the message of God and listened to it carefully. And there's an application for us as well in that. We need to follow Mary's example and, and ponder the things of this book. We need to treasure God's word. I know I can be all too often guilty of, of not really taking it as a treasure. Often you just read for you a few verses or a chapter so you can tick the box and say you've read your Bible that day. But there's so much that we can ponder and get whenever we really take the time to reflect and treasure it. 
one of the things we're going to do as a church in the year ahead is we're really going to be pressing into devotions. Pastor Phil is going to explain more in the weeks ahead, but we've got a great resource that's going to be available for you that's going to help you to really ponder and reflect on the words. And as someone who knows how much of a struggle it can be, I'd like to encourage you to really get on board with that in the year ahead because there's so much richness that can come whenever we do ponder and treasure the words. So the second visit that we see in the aftermath of the first Christmas is the visit of the wise men, and we learn about them in Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. The star went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So the wise men brought gifts whenever they came to visit Jesus. It's likely one of the reasons why we give Christmas presents today. Gifts are great, right? Everyone loves a Christmas present. I love selecting presents for people. With my in-laws, for my brothers and sisters-in-law, we do a secret Santa where you just get one person each year that you have to buy presents for, and we keep it anonymous until the gifts are open. And each year, I tend to be the person that buys the best presents. <laughs> Don't like to boast, but I'm something of a pro when it comes to buying presents. Now, we haven't done this year's exchange yet because Sheriff's brother, in -law, Sheriff's brother and sister-in-law are in England and they're not home until tomorrow, so I can't say too much because hopefully they'll be watching the stream, but I think I've done pretty well again this year. You can check in with me next Sunday to see, but I'm pretty confident. Don't know if any of you have ever been on the receiving end of any bad Christmas presents. I remember one year whenever I was younger that my two brothers both wanted a karaoke machine. I did not want a karaoke machine. I have no skills for singing. And every year my aunts always got us really good Christmas presents. And that year, under the tree, there was this massive box. And whenever you're a small child, the big box is always the most exciting. You can probably guess where this is going. Lo and behold, Christmas Day came, we ripped open the box, and it was a karaoke machine. If this was a Hollywood movie, that would be the start of my journey into a singing career. Alas, if I do have a hidden talent for singing, it's remained very hidden. But if there's one thing worse than getting a bad Christmas present, it's that awkward moment whenever you go to give someone a present and you realize they haven't got you anything. I know, I know, I'm standing up here in church speaking, and I should be saying it's more blessed to give than to receive. But let's be real. It stings a little if you get someone a present and they haven't cared enough to get you one. Actually, all this talk about Christmas presents reminds me, Dylan, Pastor Phil's actually found your present already. So do you want to exchange gifts now, or do you want to wait till you come up at the end to make my last point sound extra anointed? Whenever we get gifts for people, the best ones are the ones that relate significantly and mean something to that person, the ones that are specific for the person. That's why the Secret Santa presents I buy are so good, because I take time to find something that will be significant for that person, something that has meaning. And that's why the karaoke machine was such a disappointment, because I had no significance and no interest in singing. The gifts of the wise men were significant, because they each symbolized what would happen to Jesus in the aftermath of the first Christmas and what it means for us to be living in the aftermath of Christmas now. The wise men brought gold, which symbolizes kingship. You see, Jesus came to be our king. He didn't just come to give good advice to be considered. He came to be king, to be the ultimate authority in our lives. In the aftermath of Christmas, we each have to choose to follow Jesus as king. 
He must be Lord of all in our lives. He's not just an overseer or a good teacher. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and we must give him the honor that that deserves. The wise men then also brought frankincense, which was a symbol of deity. You see, Jesus was no mere human baby. He was God made of flesh. Frankincense was used by the priests in the temple, and it was a symbol that Jesus is the ultimate priest, come to reconcile us to God once and for all. It's a reminder in the aftermath of Christmas that we now need to worship Jesus with our whole hearts, to lift up our eyes and fix them on Jesus, that we must worship Jesus rather than the things of the world. And lastly, the wise men brought myrrh. You see, myrrh was an anointing oil used for embalming dead bodies, an unusual gift for a baby, but symbolic of the suffering that Jesus was going to go through, symbolic of the death he'd been born to face. You see, the cross was always the plan. Jesus knew when he came down to that manger that he was coming to die. He knew when he left the throne of heaven that the aftermath would involve a cross. He knew the, the pain and suffering that he was going to have to endure. He knew the rejection he would face both on his time on earth, but also in the aftermath, again and again throughout history as people turn their back on him and reject him. And yet, he still chose to come because of the love that he has for us. So it's a reminder for us in the aftermath of Christmas that we follow a God who knows what it feels like to suffer. We worship a God who has experienced pain and rejection. We follow a God who's walked in our shoes. So if you are going through a difficult season at the moment, be encouraged today because the mirror reminds us that Jesus has experienced those same feelings. He's had those same struggles and he has compassion with us in the midst of our difficulties. I was struck whenever I thought about the differences between those two sets of visitors, the shepherds and the wise men. Maybe you have a nativity set amongst your Christmas decorations. Whenever we were younger, we had one that used to sit on top of the TV back in the days whenever TVs were thick enough that you could actually set things on them. On the one side of the manger, you have the shepherds, and on the other side, the magi. On the one side, lowly unwashed peasants, and on the other side, highly educated, well-dressed noblemen. And to keep it theologically accurate, my mom didn't let us put the baby Jesus figure out until Christmas Day. But yet, it was technically wrong for us to have both the wise men and the shepherds because the wise men didn't arrive until slightly later. You see, the wise men, it says, came to see Jesus not at the manger, but at a house. They didn't come on Christmas Day. They came in the aftermath. They wouldn't have been there at the same time as the shepherds. You see, the shepherds heard from the angels on the night that Jesus was born and went with haste to see the things that had been told. They were on the hills just outside Bethlehem and didn't have very far to go. But the wise men, it says, came from the east. They weren't from Israel. They weren't what was considered at the time the right ethnicity to be chosen by God. We aren't told exactly where they come from, but based on the gifts that they brought, scholars think that they came either from Persia or Arabia. And that would have meant a journey of 400 or more miles, either on foot, which is a long walk even for me, and even if you were running it at Big Mob's pace, it would have taken quite a bit of time, and there wouldn't have been a glazing roll coffee at the end of it. Or else they would have had to have gone on camel, which would have taken a couple of weeks. Both the shepherds and the wise men traveled to see Jesus, but both had very different journeys. For the shepherds, it was a simple stroll that didn't require too much prior thought or planning. For the wise men, it was a major expedition, and it wouldn't have been started on lightly. They would have had to have planned it all out. And here's the thing. Some of us are fortunate enough to have been raised in a Christian home. We've been taught from an early age that God loves us and never strayed too far from that narrow path. But others of us, we found ourselves raised far from any godly influence. We didn't have the benefit of Sunday school and good news clubs to keep us on the straight and narrow. For some of us, it was a simple, short journey to accept Jesus as Savior. But for others, we've had a long way to come. 
But the good news is God doesn't berate the wise men for arriving later. He knew their journey was longer. And God took the initiative and met the wise men in their own context, communicating with them in a way that they could understand. And as we share the message of Jesus, that's what we need to do too. We need to meet people where they are rather than waiting for them to come to us. And we need to communicate in a way that they can understand, not using religious jargon and terminology that just confuses them. So R8, here's the application for us. Different people have different journeys before they come to that position of kneeling before Jesus is Lord. For some of us, it doesn't take long. For others, it'll be a lot of time, a lot of deliberation, a lot of pulling up in the car park and leaving again before you make it inside the building. And we have to be patient with people. We must not give up on them. We must keep guiding them and directing them, following them and encouraging them along in that journey, playing the role of the star that leads them to Jesus. We can't judge people if it takes them longer than us to come and accept Jesus as Lord because we don't know the journey that they've had to go on. The aftermath of Christmas reminds us to be patient with all curious travelers, continually praying for them and looking forward to the day that they too reach that moment of accepting Jesus. There's lots that we don't know about the wise men. I'm the sort of person that whenever I watch a movie, I like to, to read up on all the backstory of all the characters and have all the facts. And so it's a challenge for me not knowing everything about the wise men. But it's a, remind, a reminder to me that although God won't always tell us all we want to know, he always tells us all that we need to know. We don't need to know the ins and outs of it. We don't need to know how many wise men there were. We don't need to know how far exactly they traveled or if it was on foot or by camel. We don't need to know how the star led them, how the, all the, the ins and outs of the cosmological stuff worked. What's important is that the wise men came and worshiped Jesus. That's the key detail that we do need to know. And that's the example we need to follow. We don't need to copy their example of looking for signs in a star. We do need to copy their example of seeking Jesus and worshiping him. Yeah. And like the wise men, we need to copy their example of rejoicing in awe of a God who would love us so much that he sent his son for us. The wise men trusted and followed God, even though they didn't know all the details, even though they didn't have it all worked out. And maybe we need to copy that example. Rather than trying to get it all planned out, maybe in the aftermath of Christmas, we simply need to trust that God is good his love is strong, and he will always give us the guidance we need to discover that purpose that he has for us. Maybe we need to make peace with knowing that we won't always know all the answers. And as we live in the aftermath of Christmas, we need to remember that we've seen the ultimate example of goodness in Jesus coming to die for us. And if God didn't spare his own son but gave him up, will he not also give us all things? So in the aftermath of Christmas, we know that there's now nothing that can separate us from the love of God. So no matter what struggles you're going through, no matter what doubts you have or what unanswered questions you're sitting here with this morning. Follow the example of the wise men and trust God even when faced with those unknowns. The final visit that we're going to look at was in the, the final visit we're going to look at in the aftermath of the first Christmas was a visit made by Mary Joseph and the baby Jesus to the temple. And we read about that in Luke verses Luke chapter two, verses twenty-one and twenty-two. <laughs> And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel, before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So we don't have time this morning to go into all the details of circumcision, but if you do have questions, you can address those to Pastor Phil later. <laughs> I'm going to focus on the visit to the temple for the purification ceremony. So for 40 days after the birth of a son, 
the mother was considered ceremonially unclean and couldn't enter the temple. It was part of the old covenant law, along with circumcision, and was part of the stuff that the people of Israel had to follow to restore their relationship with God because it had been broken by sin. So at the end of the mother's time of being unclean, the priests were to, the parents were to come to the temple and offer a lamb for a burnt offering and a dove for, or a pigeon for a sin offering. The priest would sacrifice the animals and declare her to be clean. And this purification ceremony, it was simply a ceremony of thanksgiving. It was a process of honoring God for all that he had done during the pregnancy and in the birth of the child. You see, circumcision and purification, they were always just a temporary system until the new covenant, the new way of relating with God would come about in the aftermath of Christmas. And those of you that were listening carefully there might have noticed something unusual about what I said. You see, whenever I read from Luke, it said that Mary and Joseph brought two turtle doves as their sacrifice. But in the Old Testament, it said about bringing a lamb and a single turtle dove. So here's the thing, lambs were expensive. Not every family could afford a lamb to offer as a sacrifice. And God made a special exception for those families that couldn't afford a lamb. They could offer two turtle doves instead. So what we learn here is that Mary and Joseph were poor. They were just ordinary folks, just like us. There was nothing particularly special about them. Their faith and trust in God didn't see them blessed with material riches. They were just regular, ordinary people like me and you. And yet they were the ones that God chose to use to bring his son into the world. And God, thankfully, is still in the business of using regular, ordinary people today. We don't need riches and we don't need a theology degree. We simply need to be available. By coming in a state of poverty, Jesus has shown us that it's, it's not dishonorable to be poor. In fact, often it's when we're most blessed is whenever we are in that place of poverty, whenever we just humble ourselves before God and, and seek not material things, but seek the hope that we have at the cross. Today, obviously, we're in the aftermath of Christmas and we're now no longer under the law. Anyone who's given birth recently or is pregnant, please do not bring lambs or birds with you to church. Pastor Phil does not need to sacrifice those anymore. The cleaning team will probably quit if we start asking them to remove bloodstains. But these visits to the temple for circumcision and for purification, they are significant because they show Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf. He kept it perfectly. And they give us an example that, like Mary and Joseph did, we too should present our children to God and pray on their behalf, asking God to allow them to one day place their trust in him as well. We're a church with a lot of new babies and with more on the way. And I want to encourage each parent here today to, no matter what age your child is, young or old, to really try and find time in your day to pray with them every day. One of my favorite things that I get to do with Ada most nights as I put her to bed is I sing the blessing over her. It's such a special time, although it does mean that she now associates that song with sleep. So if, she's still sing if we're still singing it whenever she graduates from our eight kids, she might be falling asleep mid-worship. But each night I get to hold her in my arms and just rock her and sing, the Lord bless you. I think it's probably best for everyone's sake I stop there. <laughs> Parents, I just want to encourage you that try and find ways to incorporate prayer into your daily routines with your child. You might not see much impact from it now, but I believe it is the most significant thing we can do for our children and it'll set them up to have a great start in their own relationships with God. So the aftermath of Christmas is that the old way, that old covenant, it's no longer in place. We no longer have to offer animal sacrifices for purification. We have a new covenant, a new relationship with God. That first Christmas morning, as Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he moved into our neighborhood. He came to live among us. He left the throne of heaven, humbled himself and was born as a baby. And the aftermath is that everything was changed because Jesus didn't stay a baby. He grew into a man who died on a cross. 
and we now receive purification and forgiveness, not through sacrificing animals, but through placing our faith in Jesus. As we bring this to a close, let's return to the message the angels gave the shepherds. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I don't know about you, but this year has been tough for me. But I fear not, I have peace. I trust in the good news of great joy, because we now live in the aftermath of Christmas. The past few months haven't been easy. I've gained a few more gray hairs, been through pain, loss, heartbreak, and crushing disappointment. There's been days with raw prayer, just crying out, asking God why. Maybe you can relate to that this morning. I don't know what struggles or challenges you're going through. But in the aftermath of Christmas, what I do know is that through it all, on the mountaintops and in the depths of the valley, God is with me. I know his ways are higher than mine. I know there's hope because my Savior came down for me. The aftermath of that first Christmas is there's now good news of great joy for all people. The manger shows us how much God loved us. He so loved the world that he sent his only son. There's good news of great joy for all people because our Savior Jesus was born on Christmas morning. There's good news of great joy because in the aftermath, he died on a cross as the perfect sacrifice to cover all our sins. There's good news of great joy in the aftermath because we will be clothed with righteousness that we don't deserve. The aftermath of Christmas is there's now no sin that can exclude us from the grace of God. There's no nationality that isn't welcome. There's no one that is an outsider any longer. It's not just for followers of a certain denomination or observers of the right tradition. This is now good news of great joy for all people because the aftermath of Christmas is forgiveness of sin, reconciliation with our loving Father, and life everlasting for all who call on the name of the Lord. May you come and receive that gift today if you have not yet done so. May you know that you are included, even if religious people try to tell you you're too far gone or that you aren't welcome. May we as a church let that good news ring out to all people, not just those who look like us and act all prim and proper, but to all, not just for the wise men, but also for the down and outs. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. I hope it encouraged you. There's a few things I'd love you to do. I'd love you to subscribe to our YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify account. This is so you can keep up with our most recent material and messages. If this ministry has impacted your life and you'd love to help us reach others, you can do that right now by going to ariachurch.org and giving now. Cannot wait to see you next week on the Ariat Church podcast.